You are listening to Episode 1 of Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 1. A Wide Spot in the Road Somewhere up in the canopy, a jaybird greeted the dawn, loudly and with the vigor usually reserved for mating and feeding. Tanith sighed and rolled over in her bedroll. The cushion of last year's pine needles provided a comfortable enough mattress, and she didn't really want to crawl out, but brain betrayed body by insisting that time dripped through her fingers while nothing useful happened. She groaned and sat up, hips protesting and shoulders already flexing to try to stretch out the overnight stiffness. Cold morning air tickled down the neck of her shift and chilled the fabric while a second jaybird joined the first from somewhere down the draw. Together they filled the hollow with challenge and response. She rummaged down in the bedroll and pulled out her knit top, warmed and cozy from her overnight body heat. With a shrug and a wriggle, the comfortable wool slid down over her head and around her torso, but the cool air and movement reminded her that mornings required certain activities. She crawled out of the bedroll, gave the coals of her small fire a quick stir, and then padded across the clearing to squat behind a bush. I'm getting too old for this. She muttered even as her left knee creaked painfully. Returning to the bedroll, she lowered herself onto it, successfully battling the urge to crawl back into it as the dawn light stole silently between the trees and birds and bugs began a soft counterpoint to the song battle being waged high above her head. She added a few sticks to the fire and leaned down to puff life into the coals. In her head she said a prayer to the All-Mother and watched as the great ashes took on golden life. The sticks caught, sending a thin tendril of smoke into the chilly late summer morning. She added a few more sticks and pulled the lid off her kettle in order to add enough water for a cup of tea. She gave her oatmeal a nudge and a stir and slid that closer to the small warmth as well. She'd set it to cooking in the dying coals of her fire the previous night and was looking forward to a warm breakfast of the rich grain flavored with some fresh apple. While her breakfast warmed, she levered herself up from the ground once more and rummaged around in the bedroll, drawing out her pants and last clean small clothes. She hurriedly slipped them on and buckled the solid belt around her, making sure her belt knife was clipped securely. The buckle locked in the last notch, and she frowned a bit, trying to remember if it had been four weeks or five since she'd left Mabel Elderberry's tidy cottage. Time tended to blur for her on the road, each day much like the last, a seemingly endless cycle of rise, eat, pack, walk until the light began to fade, find a safe camp, bed down, and do it again the next day. An occasional nerve-wracking encounter on the road and the periodic passage through hamlets and towns along the way punctuated the cycle only rarely. One last fishing expedition in the bottom of the bedroll produced a pair of well-worn boots and a clean pair of socks. Chilly toes welcomed the warmth and protection afforded by both. She could hear the water boiling in the kettle and tossed a handful of aromatic leaves into it before pulling the kettle back from the fire with a handy stick. While it steeped, she straightened out her bedroll and quickly rolled it up into a tight traveling package. She lashed it to the bottom of her pack and settled down to her traveler's breakfast, savoring the soothing spiced tea as it warmed her belly, while the comfortable bulk of the softened grain and apple filled it. In a matter of a few minutes, she finished her breakfast, cleaned and stowed the cooking gear, and scuffed out the fire. She slipped a bulky tunic over her sweater, tucked her hair up under her wide-brimmed hat, and shouldered the pack with not quite a grunt. I shouldn't be feeling heavier the longer I go. She grumbled to herself, but still she smiled and forgave herself the grumble. 
She took up her walking staff and, after another scan of the clearing to make sure she'd left nothing, pushed through the screen of underbrush to find the short trail to the Overton Pike. In a few days she'd pass through Overton. She looked forward to a warm bath and a chance to resupply. She mentally weighed the few silvers left in her purse and nodded in satisfaction. The couple back in Maplesboro had been grateful for the poultices she'd done for their cow and given her a few coins in addition to a hot dinner of mutton and fresh bread. Another few weeks on the road should see her safely at Gertie Pinecrest's cottage before the solstice. Whether Gertie Pinecrest would welcome her or not was another question, and one that troubled her even as she went. Folks called Gertie Pinecrest the Hermit of Lammas Wood for a reason, but Tanith needed to learn from Gertie. She'd been on the path for twenty winters, and Gertie was the last of the old witchwomen. Gertie kept the old knowledge of the plants and the seeds, and Tanith desperately wanted that knowledge for herself. Whether Mother Pinecrest would share it or not, Tanith didn't know, and couldn't know, until she went there and asked in person. The low, easterly sun raked claws of light and shadow between the trees and across the packed surface of the Overton Pike. Tanith held back in the last cover of the forest and checked the pike in both directions before exposing herself at the verge. It wasn't a dangerous area, as roads went, but prudence dictated caution, and prudence was a teacher that it paid not to ignore. The morning stillness hadn't yet broken, and sounds traveled well in the morning air, the two jaybirds back up the trail ended their squabble with matching squawks that receded as the birds took wing. The soft chipping of a sparrow in the weeds was punctuated by the periodic DDD of a pine dee in the copse behind her. She heard nothing, saw nobody, and slipped quietly through the weeds, parting them gently with her staff to walk between them without breaking the tender stalks. Her soft boots left no distinguishing marks in the low mosses beside the road, and if a faint trail of darker grass marked her passage through the dewed undergrowth, that would be gone in an hour or two as the last heat of the late summer baked the moisture away. Tanith turned her face northward, and with the sun warming her right side as she strode through the bands of light, soon fell into the easy cadence of a ground-eating stride. At fifty-three winters, if the spring in her step was not that of a younger woman, the ready economy of her movements and the long years of walking the paths of Corlay gave her a stamina and a resilience to travel that few people could match, save perhaps the king's own, and even they traveled on four hooves more often than two feet. Thinking of the king's own brought a familiar pang of regret and longing, dulled from much use and long habit. Her own young Robert left home and hearth to enter service to the realm as soon as he'd been able to convince the garrison commander at Fairport to take him. At fourteen winters he lacked his full growth, but years of dealing with the physical and emotional challenges meted out by his father had matured and seasoned him ahead of his time. She could see his glowing face in her mind's eye as he spoke quietly but earnestly to her. It's for the best, mother. When I'm gone you won't need to protect me. You'll be safer. He'd smiled encouragingly, looking to her for reassurance, for acceptance of his choice. She'd given a mother's blessing, catching a tear from her cheek and pressing her moistened finger to his brow, sealing it with a kiss. She treasured the memory of his lanky frame turning at the gate to wave and smile, his face already alight from the excitement that the road ahead lured him with. There really hadn't been a golden light of morning that framed his glowing youth, she knew, but over time her mind insisted on adding the aura, burnishing her memory of the battered, haunted child who left her ineffectual protection for the tender mercies of king and service. He'd been wrong, of course. Infuriated by Robert's escape into service, 
no doubt aggravated by the loss of the extra hands around the cottage, Roger Oakhurst turned his entire fury upon the only target remaining to him. A squirrel scolded her as she passed, a sudden noise returning her to the road and the present. Ahead an ox cart emerged around the bend in the distance. Tannis slowed her ground-chewing pace to regard the drover walking beside the animal, as well as she could in the slanting light of morning. She paused and glanced behind to make sure the road was clear before walking to the side in preparation for moving out of the cart's way. As they closed, the driver paid more and more attention. It wasn't that lone travelers were unheard of, but he eyed her uneasily, and she kept the brim of the hat tilted forward as if looking at the road right in front of her feet, glancing up irregularly to judge their progress and to keep him from getting a good look at the trousered figure approaching. When they were a few yards apart, Tanith stepped off the east side of the road and leaned on her staff to allow the ox cart the full width of the pike. As the drover drew even with her, the sun was almost at her back, and she stood firmly in a band of bright morning sun. The drover, a strong-shouldered man of adult years, nodded politely as he passed and offered no more offense than a brisk, "'Good morrow, traveler!' The strong odors of working beast carried on the morning breeze and were matched by an undercurrent of healthy male. Tanith nodded and raised her hand to the brim of her hat without speaking. Dressed in baggy men's clothing, with her graying hair hidden under a floppy hat, she was as nondescript as any artifice might afford without drawing attention to herself by being unusual. If she were to speak, her clear alto would give up the illusion of poor old man and leave her revealed as unattended woman. She sighed inwardly at the necessity, but while most held elders in esteem, there were those too young or too callow to afford anyone the respect they desired for themselves. She wasn't too worried about the drover, but it never paid to take things for granted so far from town and witnesses. The cart rumbled by, and in the bed, a pair of axes and a bow saw explained why he headed away from town with an empty cart so early in the day. No doubt he'd return at dusk, his cart loaded with firewood, Tanith realized that she must be closer to a village than she thought. She focused on the immediate tasks ahead and stepped back into the smooth surface, turning northward once more. After another mile or so, the smoky scent of village came on the breeze, and she quickened her pace a bit, hoping some fresh water and perhaps a bit of cheese might be had for the price of a little casual labor, perhaps an hour on the butter churn should the village have a milk cow. As she turned a final bend, the small gathering of huts filling a clearing carved out of the forest beside the road gave her some pause. Each hut sported a small vegetable patch behind, and a grassy verge provided rough grazing for a couple of goats. A gravel track led from the pack up into the cluster of huts. She could hear children playing somewhere behind the village, and a small flock of chickens scratched and clucked in the gravel of the path. Her eyes tracked back and forth across the area, looking for the reason this particular location had grown up. Usually hamlets grew on crossroads or riverbanks, traffic providing a rationale and travelers' coins pollinating prosperity until the hamlet grew to village and became more self-sufficient. The nondescript collection in front of her looked like little more than hovels, but she sniffed none of the sewery smell of mismanagement even while the rich aroma of ripening animal dung came to her clearly, along with clean wood smoke and the laughing shrieks of children. A lone yellow dog guarded the road's edge where the main path out of the hamlet joined the Overton Pike. The path was wide enough for a cart. Indeed, she noticed an ox pie and some fresh stripes on the hard pan to tell her where the woodcutter had come from. A woman's voice shouted something unintelligible and strident from the direction of the laughing children, and a pack of five came belting out from behind one of the huts, the oldest looking to be about ten winters, and the rest ranging down in increments that were barely discernible. 
Their general looks were sufficiently different to suggest they weren't all siblings, which meant more than one family with children. Not a bandit camp, then, Tenneth relaxed marginally. There was still a lot that could go wrong, but where there were children there was less likelihood of violence. It wasn't a foolproof test, as her own life served to illustrate, but the probabilities of a peaceful encounter were greatly improved by the presence of young ones. The small tribe skidded to a stop at the apparition of this stranger almost in their midst, and the eldest of the group shouted, Ma, travelers here! He didn't sound alarmed, but the low door of the hut they'd just run out from behind swung open almost immediately, and a youngish woman bent head and shoulders to get out through the opening, then straightened with one hand to her brow and the other at the small of her back. She regarded Tanith for a moment before speaking. Can we help you, traveler? Her voice was a bright soprano, and Tanith recognized it from the earlier shout. Tanith took off her hat and brushed a hand through her short gray hair. Fresh water, she asked, preferring to take things one step at a time until she got a better lay of the land. The eldest of the children perked up as she spoke, and they all gaped a bit as their notions realigned with a new reality. Ma, that's a woman! The eldest said it with some surprise. The woman blinked slowly and turned her attention to the boy for a moment, regarding him with an arched eyebrow and a small grin. Thank you for that report, Riley. Would you fetch a bucket of water from the well, please? Tana smiled a bit herself and spoke up. I can get a bucket of water if you just show me where. The younger woman shook her head slightly. That's okay, traveler. This rapscallion and his vagabond band have been underfoot all morning. Maybe if I give him a few more chores, he'll decide being elsewhere is better. She grazed the boy with another pointed look, and he hied himself off back around the hut, looking over his shoulder and gathering his cohort around him as he scampered. Would you sit a spell? We don't get many travelers who stop. The woman smiled tentatively, but there was still a hint of reserve, a mutual weighing that passed on the morning's wind. I don't want to be any trouble, Mum. Tanith hesitated. I thought maybe I could get a freshening of my water skin, maybe do a chore or two in return for some bread. Not but women's work here, I'm afraid. The younger woman twisted her mouth in a wry smile. You know the kind of work I mean. Tanith snorted in reply. Cooking, cleaning, and unpaid. The younger woman nodded with a small laugh. You know very well, then. She regarded Tanith once more, her head cocked to one side. She shook herself suddenly. Where are my manners? She stepped forward and held out one smoothly tanned and calloused hand. Amber Mapleton. Tanith took the offered hand in her own. Tanith. Tanith Fairport. Pleased to meet you. She answered the younger woman's smile with one of her own. Come inside, Mother Fairport. If you have the time to help, then you have the time to tell me what's afoot in the world while I mend. Just Tanith, Amber. I'm not that old yet. The woman's glance took in the crow's feet and the gray hair, but she offered no comment except to quirk her mouth a bit sideways and nod at the house. Tanith felt welcomed by that half-smile, and the two women ducked low, Tanith slipping out of her pack before trying to pass under the lintel. Inside, the hut was dug down into the soil about two feet, and the floor was covered in woven grass mats. Tanith admired the handiwork. We weave these mats and sell them in Overton. Amber made the announcement quietly but proudly as she saw the older woman admiring the flooring. There's a slough filled with long grasses just up the hollow apiece. Amber nodded westerly toward the forest side of the hamlet. We gather it in the fall, weave it all winter, and sell it in the spring. It brings a few extra silvers for the village. How long have you been here? Tanith perched on a vacant stool beside the hearth. This'll be our fourth winter. 
Amber set about warming a teapot with some hot water before throwing in a handful of tea and topping it off with boiling water. She set it aside to steep. She straightened from her task and cast an appraising eye across the walls and beams. That first year was bad, but this year we're a lot readier for winter. The settling in was interrupted by the boy's return with a bucket of water as he carefully took the three steps down and placed the wooden pail in the corner of the hearth. He ducked his head politely in a half bow and offered a shy smile. Amber hid a small grin. Thank you, Riley. Go out and play with the others now and let us have a little peace. His eyes twinkled in a grin. Won't last much longer. Sandy's spreading the news. With that as his parting word, he scampered back out the way he came, just in time to pass another slender woman in homespun at the threshold. Amber, I heard we have guests. The newcomer took advantage of the open door to thrust her head into the hut and peer about. You may as well come in, Sadie. Amber hid a small smile by peering at the teapot, measuring with her eye to see if there were enough for three cups of tea. The slightly built blonde woman, not much more than a girl by Tanith's reckoning, took the invitation at face value and hurried in, long familiarity evident in her sure movements around the small hut, even as she eyed the newcomer curiously. Tanith, this is Sadie Hawthorne. She lives next door. Sadie? Tanith Fairport. She's just passing through. The three women managed to serve formality and a couple of mugs of tea before the next neighbor knocked on the door. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 2 Willow Bark Tea. Tanith got back on the pike as the sun passed Zenith. Her delay over tea and talk lost her some time on the road, but gained her a small loaf of fresh bread and a block of hard cheese along with the knowledge of why the village sat where it did. A path led into the woods to the west of the pike. It ended at a deposit of fine clay back in the hillside beyond and provided the community's life's blood. Most of the men worked to excavate the heavy mineral-laced mud. One served as hunter, another as woodcutter, and a third drove the heavy lorry wagon back and forth to Overton. 
The women talked excitedly of plans to build their own kill in the coming winter, when the clay was frozen and the men would otherwise be underfoot. She smiled to herself as she tucked her hair up under her hat and made ready to go. She left some packets of dried basil with the women, and measured out a few of her precious seeds to press upon them for planting in the spring. Rosemary and sage grew readily in the local soil, and Sadie, who seemed to be the expert on growing things in the village, accepted them happily. As she reached her stride and the ground began to roll away under her boots once more, she thought about how exciting it must be to be young, to be working towards something that might be bigger than yourself. The hamlet was, as yet, unnamed, but the women around the hearth planned for a larger community, with a real name and even a school to teach letters and numbers to the anticipated hordes of children. While Amber had used the excuse of learning the news from outside, the women did little listening to happenings outside of their small circle and instead took pleasure in sharing their plans for the future with her. Tanith smiled a gentle smile at their youthful enthusiasms and said a silent prayer to the All-Mother for their success. The afternoon passed uneventfully except for the passage of one of the king's own, a messenger on one of the rangy, long-legged horses they used for the service. Tanith heard the horse and rider coming even over the sighing of the wind through the treetops and stepped off the road to allow the rider to pass. She knew better than to expect a miracle, but even so she was faintly disappointed when the youth in the saddle was not her Robert. A young woman, looking very serious and businesslike in her uniform, wore the diagonal orange slash of the messenger corps. Tanith waved a hand in greeting, but the dispatch rider only nodded in acknowledgment, without speaking, as the horse trotted past, leaving a musical jingling of tack and a swirl of light dust that rapidly dispersed in the afternoon breeze. Old fool, your Robert is a grown man with wife and children of his own by now. She frowned and grumbled to herself, but the thought of having grandchildren she didn't even know gave her a pang of melancholy. She huffed stabbed the hard scrabble surface of the road with the iron heel of her staff for several steps in vexation. The sun slid on its inevitable path while Tanith paced her way northward. When it approached the tops of the trees on the west side of the road, she started watching for breaks in the trees to the east, keeping an eye open for game trails or paths. If there wasn't one, she'd have to find a safe camp off the road by herself, but she rarely had to resort to that level of bushwhacking in order to find a safe hole. The pike wasn't heavily traveled, but it was traveled regularly, and travelers had few choices along the way but to find camping spots off the road to spend the night. The unnamed hamlet she'd left behind might well do better to open an inn, she thought amusedly, rather than a brick kiln. A pounding rumble reached her ears as the sun fell closer to the treetops. She quickly chose the best of the options available to her and stepped easily onto the weeded verge, slipping into the underbrush at the edge of the encroaching forest. The trees were not so closely spaced that she couldn't slip between them, and she took shelter beside a large blackberry thicket, hunkering down to lower her profile and peeking through the undergrowth to see what would pass. In a matter of moments, a large six-in-hand coach rattled into view and swooped past her, traveling from Overton, no doubt, and heading for Varton, ninety miles to the south. She passed the carriage stations periodically along the road, but never stopped. The men who staffed the stations were not terribly well-mannered and often bored, with nothing better to do than tend animals and wait the arrival and subsequent departure of the coaches. It was more risk than she thought prudent. She waited until the sound of the carriage faded out in the distance to the south and kept to her place of concealment even after it had gone. Before long, a pair of the king's own guards came riding by as well. The guardsmen were cantering easily and following in the wake of the coach. They didn't seem to be paying close attention to the road or the woods that surrounded it, but Tanith lowered her face so that it was hidden from view by the dark color of the wide brim of her hat. 
The King's own were unlikely to assault her, but that wouldn't stop them asking a lot of difficult questions about why she might be hiding in the woods, watching the coach and guard pass from concealment. They passed without incident, and Tanith let out the breath she'd been holding. She spared a look around and noticed a game trail running behind the blackberry bramble and into the forest. A short way down the pass, she found a small clearing bounded by a thicket of juniper on one side and a huge boulder on the other. A soft splashing sound led her to a spring-fed creek on the far side of the boulder, and there was even a blackened flake of rock showing where travelers had stopped in the past. The site was a trifle exposed to the sky, but the bulk of the rock was between the camp and the road, so little would be visible through the trees in that direction. She smiled, dropped her pack and staff beside the rock, and went in search of tinder and wood for fire. The forest floor was littered with appropriately sized sticks, and she didn't have to stray far from her campsite in order to collect enough to heat water for tea and a bit of oatmeal for breakfast. She found herself looking forward to the bread and cheese from the village for her dinner, and she even found a patch of wild onion as well to add a bit of flavor. In celebrating her good fortune, she dropped her normal guard and almost walked into one of the two men before she even knew they were there. Mother Fairport, the taller one, looked vaguely familiar. It took her a moment to recognize him as the ox cart drover from the morning. You visited with Amber today, at the village. The two were standing well back from her, and had their hands held loosely out to their sides, palms forward to offer as little threat as possible. The smaller one she didn't recognize, but then she'd only seen women and children during her visit. They both smiled tentatively and made no threatening movements. Tanith kicked herself for leaving her staff where she could not reach it, but crossed to the scorched rock to deposit her load of kindling before responding. And you are... She countered his question with her own, without committing her own answer. William Mapleton. I'm her husband. I think I met you on the road this morning, didn't I? She nodded once. You did. She turned to the smaller man. And you are? I'm Sadie's man, Mum. Thomas. He smiled encouragingly and nodded his head respectfully. You two seem a bit off the path. She let her voice trail out. William's lips tightened. In more ways than one, Mum. We need your help back at the village. She narrowed her eyes. What kind of help? Thomas piped up. It's Sadie, Mum. She's come down with a blinding headache, and I think she's a fever as well. Her skin's hot to the touch. She looked back and forth between them. Do you think I made her sick? The two men shook their heads, and William answered, Of course not, Mum. But Amber said you have some knowledge of herbs and such. She hoped you might be able to help. She sent me and Thomas here to try to catch you up and see if you'd come back to the village. Willowbark tea? Tanith asked. The two men looked at each other before turning back to her with a shrug. What about it? Thomas asked. Did you give her some willow bark tea? They shook their heads together. All mother preserve us, Tanith muttered and snatched up her pack and staff. Let's go. William took the pack from Tanith. It'll be faster if I carry the load, Mum. She didn't argue, and he slung her pack over one shoulder like it weighed nothing at all. Thomas led the way through the gathering darkness, with Tanith on his heels and William acting as rear guard. The pike itself was just a lighter shadow in the darkness as they traveled. The long road of the afternoon melted under their hurried strides, and even Tanith's conditioning showed the strain before they turned onto the path leading to the hamlet, sometime well after sundown and well before moonrise. The two men led the way to the hut where Sadie lay shivering under a pile of homespun blankets. She looked up at the older woman almost apologetically. I'm sorry, Mum. Tanith smiled gently. Not to fret, dear. I'm here. I'll do what I can. Her nose told her a story, and she turned to Amber, one of the other wives from the afternoon. Rebecca, isn't it? The woman nodded, pleased to be remembered by name. How long has she been throwing up? 
Rebecca glanced at Amber before answering. Just a few times. She started this afternoon. And the runs? She looked back and forth between them. Just started, Amber shrugged. Looks like the flex to me. Tanith nodded in agreement. I think so, too. She turned to the two men hovering at the door. You two, go put the kids to bed if they're not already. You've got work tomorrow and there's nothing you can do here. Thomas, can you take a bedroll somewhere? He nodded, and they beat a hasty retreat, leaving the women to their tasks. Tanith rummaged in her pack and pulled out a fold of canvas, holding it up with a smile of satisfaction. This is the last of my stock, but perhaps we can get more in the morning. She handed the package to Amber. Start some water boiling in a pot. We'll make her some willow tea, and I'll show you two how to make it as well. There's not we can do for the flux, but try to make her comfortable until it burns through her. The tea will help, and you should keep a stock handy. The two younger women set to work on Sadie's hearth, and Tana sat with Sadie, bathing her brow and offering soothing noises. She thought back to all the various times she'd helped people this way since that first night she fled Roger and took shelter at Agnes Dogwood's tiny cottage in the forest west of Fairport. Agnes was always taking in strays, and Tanith counted herself among them. She'd stayed in the cottage all winter, curled inward and herding. With the spring and with Agnes's gentle ministrations, she came to herself and began the long pilgrimage that brought her to tend the bedside of a stranger. She shook herself back to reality, and Amber called to her from the hearth. How do we make this tea? Tanith patted Sadie's shoulder reassuringly and crossed the small room to supervise adding the dried ground willow bark to the boiling water. When Amber took the pot off the heat, Tanith pushed it back near the edge of the fire to keep the water just simmering. You want to get it a bit more than just steeped to get the full good out of it. Leave it for a few minutes at the simmer to get the goodness out of the bark. It needs to recover from being dried before it can give up the medicine. The two women listened intently and then watched the liquid bubble gently in the pot. After a quarter hour, with the bitter aroma of the concoction beginning to swirl around the room, they took it off the fire and Tanith had them pour the tea through a cheesecloth to strain out the solids. How much do we give her? Rebecca was looking dubiously at the tea. Tanith gave a little shrug and answer. Start with a cup. It's less than tasty, so I've never been tempted to see how much of it I could drink myself. She smiled. But when cramps are bad, even a bad cup of tea is worth it for the relief it brings. The women shared knowing looks before decanting a mug of the tea and helping Sadie to sip it. After the first tentative slurp, she took it readily enough, and the exertion of half-sitting and sipping the hot liquid tired her to the point that when she lay back on the bed, she fell almost immediately into a quiet sleep. Was that the bark tea that put her to sleep? Amber looked on curiously. Tanith shook her head. I'd guess exhaustion. Fever takes a lot out of you, and the flux just takes that much more. She eyed the sleeping woman. If she can keep it down, it'll help with the pain, but we really don't want to break the fever until it's ready to go on its own. Rebecca looked at her sharply. Why is that, Mom? Fever is the body burning out its poison. If it gets too high, it'll kill as fast as anything. Normally it doesn't, and gets just hot enough to cook the poison out of the blood without cooking the person from the inside out. She shrugged. But you want the fever to run its course so you know the poison is gone. Amber caught herself in a yawn, and Tana smiled. Let's take turns sitting. The night is more than half gone now, and she should sleep soundly for a few hours. If you two would like to get some sleep, I'll wake one of you in a bit to take a turn. She nodded at the pile of bedding going unused because the children were farmed out in other huts for the night. Rebecca took the hint and burrowed into the bedding. Tanith thought she didn't look all that much older than the children that probably slept there. Amber watched amusedly before turning back to Tanith. Are you sure, Mum? Amber, please call me Tanith or Tan. Mum makes me feel old. 
She smiled ruefully. And right now, I don't need anything making me feel older than I do. Amber smiled in return. But will you be all right? Tanith nodded and pulled her pack out of the corner where William had dropped it. She took out her bedroll and placed it as a pad on the floor beside the bed, using the pack itself as a cushion to lean against. Much cozier than a fire in the open, my dear. I'll be fine. You get some sleep. Tomorrow we'll be full enough of mischief. Amber crawled into the pile of covers beside Rebecca, and the two of them were soon snoring delicately, leaving Tanith to her thoughts and the night. The excitement of the evening, starting with finding two strangers in her camp unexpectedly, the dash back over the ground so recently covered in the light of day, and finding a simple case of the flux that these young people should have been able to handle without difficulty gave her pause. Tanith checked on Sadie, who appeared to be sleeping more comfortably already, and settled back on her makeshift seat, one she'd often used in the wild. She crossed her arms under her breast and settled in for a bit of a rest herself, but her mind would not let go of the one real fact. Grown women, albeit young as they were, must have seen flux a hundred times before. Amber had even recognized it. It was the most common of ailments, next to runny nose and cough. They had to have known that Sadie was in no real danger, even if she were uncomfortable. Why, then, did the two men come after her? Her mind chased the question around like a kitten chasing its own tail, but like the kitten she never caught up with any good answers. After an hour or so of sitting in the quiet, she heard Sadie's breathing lengthen and deepen. She reached up and placed the back of her hand against the sick woman's forehead. The fever hadn't broken, but the willow bark was working its magic, and Tanith gave a small prayer of thanks to the All-Mother before settling down for a short nap of her own. In the forest behind the hamlet, she heard a solitary owl hoot out a single call, and then the night drew close around, and her eyes closed in the darkness. Thanks for listening to Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure. Music is The Hill, composed and produced by Ivan Chu. Find this and other works by Ivan Chu at www.archive.org. You can learn more about the composer and his works by visiting his blog at myrightbrain.wordpress.com. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on Tanith Fairport and stories from the Lamas Wood, visit www.lamaswood.com.